Welcome to Honey and Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I'm the podcast creator and show host. So if you are just tuning in for the first time, welcome. I really appreciate you being here. And if you are a longtime listener as well, welcome. Thank you for coming back. And thank you as well for the feedback, the questions, the encouragement that you've been sending. I really appreciate it. So 2020, wow, the start of a new decade. And who knew it would be like this? Who knew it would come to this when we first started in January? I certainly did not. <laughs> How are you holding up? How's your family? How are your kids? I know when the quarantine process first started, I definitely had to take some time to step back, to take a breath, to be there for myself and for my family, to process a little bit of what was going on, as much as a lot of it we didn't know and was out of our, and is still out of our control. Our family took a lot of downtime. We had a lot of conversations about what's happening in the world, what's happening directly around us, and we continue to have these conversations. I think it was really necessary and it still is necessary for all of us. And let's be honest, the world is changing and it will continue to change once the virus is handled. And I think that's part of what has been difficult. The change came very quickly. It was a drastic change. It wasn't something that was slowly trickled in. And the impact has been felt far and wide. And I think what else gets a little bit difficult is because we um, don't know, it's something that we have not yet experienced. And it's something that is also out of our control. And having no control or feeling like we have no control can be difficult I think though it was a quote by Jack Canfield when he, he had said, you only have control over three things in your life, the thoughts you think, the images you visualize, and the actions you take. So knowing that, I thought there was a few things that I could offer you that have helped me in this time of no control, of uncertainty, and huge change as well. So this is the first part of the series, Look for the Helpers. And what I want to do is I want to share with you some of the amazing helpers that I have found along the way, whether it's been during this journey or helpers that I still continually call on or refer back to that I learned of or had met before this journey as well. So this is the beginning of Look for the Helpers. And I titled the series Look for the Helpers because it is based on our Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers' quote. And he would say that this is actually something that his mom would say to him whenever he was upset or feeling really scared or afraid, especially when there was a catastrophe happening on the news or somewhere around him, his mom would say to him, look for the helpers. And what she meant by this is that if you look for the helpers, 
you will know that there is hope. And I think that's something that's really important right now is hope. So I hope these helpers that I've chosen can help to answer any questions, can inspire you, can give you some support, can maybe quell some fears and encourage you to keep going on and to keep moving forward. There'll be episodes where I interview some of my favorite helpers and there'll be other episodes where I'm just here directly answering your questions. And if there are specific questions that you have that bring you concern or that you feel that you need more support on, please don't be shy. Send them in. You can email them to me or you can contact me via social media with your questions as well. So the first helper that you're going to hear on the show is David Irvin. And I guess I need to tell you a little story of why David is one of these amazing helpers. I saw David speak about two years ago. Uh, He was a keynote speaker at a conference I had attended, and I just felt his talk was so genuine and personal as well, and I really connected with him. And I kind of, you know, I left that weekend and I remembered him. I wrote his name down and because I wanted to research and look him up more. I didn't buy a book from him that weekend, but what happened later was this. I was at my mother-in-law and father-in-law's house, and they have a a favorite spot in their house that I like to sit. It's a sunroom with all windows and plants and flowers. And inside that sunroom, beside the chair that I love to sit on, is a bookshelf. And what I'd usually do is I'd sit on the chair and I'd choose a book off the bookshelf and read it or skim through it. And this particular day, I sat down and I chose a book randomly off the shelf, and the book happened to be a book by David Irvin. And the book stood out to me. I knew the title. I recognized the title because he had spoke about it at the conference I attended. And of course, I recognized the name. And I actually think I had been the first person to open up this book. And what I did was I decided I would just kind of flip through it. And I ended up randomly choosing a page and passage to read. And it was crazy because that evening, I felt like that passage had been written specifically for me. And I put it away and I I asked my father-in-law, you know, about this book. And he actually didn't know the book was on the bookshelf. He didn't know they had the book. (laughs) Go figure. And what I would do is every time I went to their house after that, I would sit in that chair and I would take the book off the bookshelf and I would read a passage. And each time it spoke to me. And the book is called Caring is Everything, Getting to the Heart of Humanity, Leadership and Life. And just like David's keynote presentation that I heard and saw, this book was absolutely genuine and sincere. And it spoke about the power of caring and really the power of having a heart, the power of humanity. And he shares this in the book through personal narratives and stories, lives of people that have touched him or that he knew personally or that he was inspired by. And the biggest dimension of this is that a lot of the personal narrative that's woven throughout the book is inspired and reflects on his time with his brother, Hal, who was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. I know David says, facing death squarely and honestly magnifies what matters most in life. And paradoxically, the realization that the life we have today won't last forever enables us to appreciate and grasp it more deeply. So I think you can understand why David Irvin is our wonderful helper for today. 
Thank you so much, David Irvin, for joining me on the podcast. And I am sure that this message, his message, will be as impactful for you as it has been for me. And after you hear this, let me know, how has this impacted you? How are you feeling? How is your family? And what did you take away from this? And if you have any questions, please ask. Enjoy the episode. David Irvin is a leader's navigator. He is a wildly sought-after speaker, author, and trusted leadership advisor. And his work has helped build accountable, authentic organizations across North America, making him one of the most respected voices on leadership and organizational culture. He has advanced degrees in human development, science, and social work, with more than 35 years of experience as a family therapist, workshop facilitator, lecturer, and advisor to executives. He's developed a unique personal and practical approach to inspiring leaders and transforming lives. He's a best-selling author of seven books with over 300,000 copies sold worldwide and also a nationally ranked distance runner, but he still maintains his active lifestyle of yoga, boxing, and hiking. He lives with his wife in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains in Western Canada. There, I, I, I tried to make it as succinct as possible because I know you have uh, quite a diverse background as well. But Oh, that's just fine. It's just a privilege, and I'm very humbled to have this conversation with you today, Robin. And I believe very strongly in the work you do and want to support you in this work in any way I can and support your listeners uh, to be better leaders in their homes. Thank you. I appreciate. I really, really appreciate that. I'm likewise. I'm very humbled that you came on. You know, this series that I'm creating right now for this time that we're in with COVID and isolation, I've titled it "Look for the Helpers." And "Look for the Helpers" comes from the quote from Mister Rogers, from Fred Rogers, who was a child favorite of mine. Actually, he was one of my favorites. And that quote comes because he would say his mother would say that to him whenever he was scared or there was an event that was a bit of a catastrophe on the news or even in a movie. And she would tell him, look for the helpers. And the purpose was that if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. And I think it's important during this time. uh, I think a lot are feeling a little bit of chaos and fear um, and anxiety, frustration as well. Uh, But The purpose of looking for the helpers is even through all of that, there's still hope to be found. Uh, So you're definitely on the top of the list for helpers because you've, you know, inadvertently been a helper to me as well. I I loved your book. I've seen you speak and I really appreciated it. And I think you have a lot of value that you can share for families that are listening as well. So maybe you could tell a little bit more about your family um, and um, some of the defining beliefs that have helped you raising your family and building your community. Well, thank you, Robin. I probably will speak here more as a father and as a grandfather than in my role in uh, in my work with organizations because uh, I believe so strongly in leadership in the home. I don't think there's any more important leadership than the raising of our next generation. And I feel very strongly about that. Um, I have three daughters. I'm blessed with three daughters who are now growing. I have a 40-year-old who will be 40 next week, a 40-year-old daughter, and a 27-year-old daughter, and a 24-year-old daughter. And I have a 12-year-old grandson and a 12-year-old step-granddaughter. And so I am, uh, that's the joy in my life. And I think 
you asked me in a previous conversation about what some of my beliefs are, and I, I've got several, but some that come to my mind in the context of our conversation here is I really do see that I'm a gardener. And I have several gardens that I've been entrusted to, that I have stewardship over. I'm not the creator, but I'm the gardener. I can plant the seeds. I can't make the seeds. There's some kind of a power beyond me that will help with the outcome, that ultimately will have that outcome. And I I don't, the garden doesn't belong to me. My children don't belong to me. They come through me. I love the words of Cahill Gabran, uh, the great philosopher a hundred mm-hmm. years ago, who said, your children are not your children. Their life's longing for itself. They come through you, but they're not from you. We, you can give them your love, but not their thoughts, for their thoughts dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. So I, 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 I'm doing the best I can imperfectly to be the best steward of this garden that I've been given in, in the context of my home and in the context of the work that I do. Um, I believe in strong character. I believe that Character I define as the courage to face the demands of reality, that when we really face our lives rather than running away from our lives, uh, we have a lot. That is the roots of self-respect. And that that uh, my job as a, as a parent is to help guide our children to themselves and to the courage that it takes to meet the demands of, of their lives. Uh, and I, I really believe in love, but I don't believe that love... I believe in the power of love and the goodness of people, but I, I don't believe that love means that I have to rescue my kids from their unhappiness. I show up, I do my job, I support them through their unhappiness, I want to be there for them when they're unhappy, but it's not my job to make them happy. Um, and, and, I, and I will need to, and I guess my final belief would be is the belief in being human, that I do all these things imperfectly and that I try to have patience with myself and with my kids along the way, which I think is mostly required at this time in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I concur. I mean, strong character, self-respect. I, I think that's essential for just building ourselves up as, as fellow citizens, human citizens of the world. Love and being human, where none of us are perfect. I think it's that lifelong process of just always learning because we're, we are never fully perfect. But at the same time, that's the beauty of life. Absolutely. So when it comes to when these beliefs, how, how have... No, let me let me put it a different way. I guess, what are some how what are some of the things that you have grown through your gardening? I know there's the great analogy of parenting. Sometimes there's the gardener and the carpenter. The gardener, you you know you you have a vision of what you want to happen and grow in your garden. But with the garden, you know nature happens, right? Things things happen that certain weeds come up you don't expect them to. Certain other flowers come up when you didn't know they were going to bloom. And there's always still beauty in it. But many times you can help to nourish it and to give nourishment to the soil to um, help other things grow and plant certain seeds. But all in all, sometimes it's just the wild nature that happens, but it's still beautiful in the end. Uh, and sometimes we just have to let it, we just have to let it be. We just have to be with it and, and enjoy that beauty. What are some of the, uh, what, what have you cultivated in your garden or what have you helped to not even cultivate, but what have you helped to grow in your garden that 
you see reflected throughout your life? Well, it's a very interesting question. I, I think my kids have probably taught me more than I have taught them. And one of the things is that, uh, you know, there's certain things in life, most things in life you just can't control. Yeah. We have to let go and give it to a power beyond ourselves to give that garden up. And there's no, there's no way that a garden is supposed to look um, that, you know, we just, we plant the seeds and we nourish it. And sometimes we have to weed it a lot, but it, it'll evolve. And, and some plants don't turn out as we want them to, that they don't, they make choices that they, they grow in directions that we hadn't planned. And I, you know, I, I can't be controlling a garden. No, no plant ever grew because I demanded that it do so, or that I uh, dug up the roots to, you know, to expect it to grow. Um, there's, you know, every plant will reach toward the light. It has its own goodness within it. And my job is just to simply see if I can let that goodness come out. I have developed over these years of parenting, a little philosophy about whether or not you're a good enough parent. Parents have often asked me this. Am I, and, and by the way, I'm in the leadership development field. Now I take what I learned with fam, from family therapy back in the 80s, and I've applied it to organizational development in the last 30 years. So my work is in the corporate area, but I always love to return to my roots, which is parenting. And parents over the years, just like leaders, how do I have asked me, how do I know if I'm a good enough parent? And how <laughs> do I know, question. <laughs> yeah, and how do I know if I'm a good enough leader in my home? And how do I know... And I, I really have, what I have learned in my gardening over these years is it's very simple. And here's the answer. And for those of us who, you know, I'm not an academic. I taught at university for three years, but I'm not really, I didn't really belong in that environment because I just kind of speak from my heart. But here's my, my philosophy. And that is, do you enjoy parenting? Most mm. And I really find that I am my best parent parent. I'm my best grandparent. I'm my best self when I'm not trying to be a good parent, but I'm just enjoying my kids. Hmm. And that doesn't mean, and by the way, that means that there's got to be structure in the home and there's got to be some rules and there's going to be, because if there's no structure, I'm not going to enjoy parenting. At the same time, if I'm forcing and pushing and feeling responsible for, I'm not going to enjoy it. Uh, but you know, I think if we just sit back and not try to be a better parent, but learn how to enjoy our kids more. I, I, I guess there are some incompetent parents that enjoy parenting, but I certainly know from my own experience that when I'm not enjoying it, when I'm strained, when I'm stressed, when I'm under pressure, I'm not a very good parent. And so the job is not to be a better parent, but how can I find ways to find joy? And I think that probably relates to every confidence that we have in our life is to find joy in it, not to work so hard at it. I have discovered over these years, Robin, that I'm not so sure that we have quite as much influence over our kids as we think we do. It doesn't mean we don't influence our kids, but you know what? When I was in graduate school, we did a research project on temperament. And what we learned is that one out of five kids, most parenting studies are like the effects of bad parents on kids. My, my study was the effect of bad kids on parents. And what that means is, I mean, we, we looked at that facetiously, but kids have different temperaments. They come in 
with a different temperament, a different spirit. Anybody with more than one child knows that they're different right from day one. And one in five children, when, they're, when you go and bond with them at, at day one, they will push you away. Now, that is going to be a very different parenting experience than a child who bonds easily with you. And so if you've got five children, you'll know at least one of them have been difficult to bond with right from day one. And so uh, my point is that we all have, each of our kids have their own temperament, and we got to work with that temperament and not take ourselves quite so seriously. Um, we got to be serious without taking ourselves quite so seriously along the way because, gosh, kids have their own spirit. <laughs> Do they ever? Yes. <laughs> that, does that fit your philosophy? It does. It absolutely fits my philosophy. I, you know, I, I think for me, the biggest thing about being a parent, I always say my kids are my biggest teachers for sure, because, and each one of them, because that's exactly it. They, I have two kids. My son is almost 14 and my daughter is almost 11. And in these next few months, they'll be turning their, you know, their next ages. They're both completely different. Um, they challenge me in different ways because of that. But at the same time, I, you know, I think what it is, is because of their ages and their personalities, they bring out different aspects of me, myself, and my even my past memories and how I have brought them into my present that really makes me relook re at things. It's like that mirror that's being held up to you. Um, and I think over time, once I realize, again, like what you said, you you, you, you don't have, the one thing you have control over is your own, your thoughts, your mind. That's really what you have control over, how you decide to view things. Yeah. And, you know, really it's, it, it, there's been a lot more enjoyment in realizing that for sure. There's a lot more fun in our house. And, and I absolutely, I know the days when I am trying to control every aspect and the days where I'm able to let go or the days where I'm able to look in the mirror and, be, and remember, okay, this was me at this time. This was, you know, this was something that I really felt when I was turning, you know, when I was a teenager and it's come up again. And not only is my child dealing with it right now, but more, more importantly, I'm dealing with it right now all over again. <laughs> and it's a good thing because obviously, I, you know, it's part of the learning process. So no, I agree. I reflect with that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. It's part of, yeah, part of the, the life process, the parenting process. It is. It is. And if, if we can just see this as a journey and uh, that we're, it's a human journey and we're learning together and uh, yeah, and, and let's be a little more patient with ourselves. I mm. think we'll be better parents when we uh, can be a little more compassionate with ourselves. Yeah. Although I think that's one of the hardest things though is being compassionate with ourselves. <laughs> Interesting. Why we why do we why is that I wonder? I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I you know and also being a parent I think sometimes it's difficult because being compassionate with ourselves is we use our children as a reflection of the things that we want to accomplish or show the world our, our outside appearances in so many ways. It's, you know, if we're not doing it, then we want our kids to do it. And therefore it's a direct reflection upon us. So as much this, as we're hard on them, we're hard on ourselves too. This comes back to my philosophy and I, and I have needed to be reminded about this often by my wife, but that our children are not 
a reflection of who we are. And this is, mm-hmm. if we don't have a sense of our own worth and our own identity aside from parenting. Parenting is one aspect of ourselves, but if we define ourselves by our parenting, just like if we define ourselves by our career, and then what happens when, when you know, we don't have a career, you know, you aren't what you do. If you are what you do, then when you don't, you aren't. And right. so how does one develop a sense of themselves so that parenting is an expression of yourself, not a definition of who you are? Otherwise, you're going to have your kids living with you when they're 40. <laughs> you'll never really let go because you always will define yourself by that. And then and watch a, a minor hockey league game uh, and watch the identity that parents have in themselves and watch the parents that are at peace with themselves and can experience their children expressing whether it's a game or a, you know, in the arts where we can see that our kids can fail and succeed without it being a definition of ourselves. And this is a big piece of my, uh, of my belief that we really need to let go of this sense of urgent of this sense of identity. Otherwise it's a huge pressure and creates all kinds of anxiety with kids when parents don't have a separateness of their own identity in the lives of their kids. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're a parent that's really hanging on that hasn't separated that identity, what are, how can you start doing that? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, First of all is to recognize it, to recognize, you know what? Um, I'm overly identified with my kids. If my child comes home unhappy, I'm unhappy. If my child comes home failing, I failed. If my child fails at their whatever extracurricular activity they're doing, I failed. Notice when we're, we're not, when we're attached to their emotions and to their lives to the point that it becomes harmful to us. So that's the first step is to recognize it. The second step is to start to get some support with it from maybe a mentor, um, maybe a, 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 you know, your, your spouse could be able to be helpful to you. Oftentimes, you know, we have one spouse that gets attached to their career and one spouse that gets attached to their parenting. And maybe we can just support each other um, to help each other with that, to say, listen, when you see me overly involved with the kids, when you see me sh- showing love by taking responsibility for them, help me out with that. And Or if, you know, it may be a single parent or it may not you may not have a supportive spouse, but find somebody that can support you with this, a model, a role model. Uh, maybe it's a grandmother that you've got, a grand or a parent in your life that can help support with this or a family member that you, you need it. We need a guide um, to help us see what, you know, to see a mirror of ourselves. It's like the eyes can't see themselves. You have to have a mirror to show you uh, who you, uh, these things. So it's helpful to have a guide. And then thirdly, just to really be conscious when you start to see yourself uh, feeling what your children feels um, and, and, and just start to recognize, boy, I've got to, I want to really stop doing that. And actually you can help, you can ask your child for help. You can say, you know what, I, I take too much responsibility for you and uh, I'm learning how to separate. And you know what, you talk to any teenagers and they would love to hear that. Help me help me separate because teenage years is about separation. Now you don't have these conversations with very young children because that's when you really do identify when they're very, very young and you need to be bonded with them. But the more independent they get, your children will help you with this. If you'll just come clean and be honest to say, listen, I love you, 
but you're not, your life is not my life. You're going to have to make your own choices. And I need help to help with that separation. And it doesn't mean you were going to agree with each other all the time, but let's, let's talk it over and have open, honest conversations with each other about it. That's another way of, of really working with it. But the main thing is to start to see that you're in that pattern and that it, it isn't not, it's not just not helpful to parents. It puts pressure on kids. And every child, every teenager particularly, will feel that pressure if parents are overly identified with them. And we don't, we call that love, but it's not love. That's, uh, that comes from fear. Hmm. Fear, fear of ourselves, fear of, uh, yeah, yeah, it does absolutely come from fear. I know that lately being... My own fear, my own insecurity as a parent. What if I don't do it right? If I don't invest enough? And uh, it's it's unfortunate that I think I began to figure this out about the time my kids left home. So it's unfortunate, but that's the journey. Anyway, I cut you off. What were you going to say? No, no, that's okay. No, that's actually, and I was going to ask, like, how, you know, how long does that take? Recognizing, uh, getting support, being conscious. Is it uh, as a process that's individual to each person and and how they're processing and getting through it and to each child along with them that's helping them out? Yes, I think, um, you know, it takes my, I, I have written a book about raising accountable kids, but um, my whole philosophy about it is that it takes two things to raise kids. You've got to support kids and you've got to push kids. And you actually don't have to push kids. You just have to make sure you don't rescue kids from being pushed by life because life will push kids. And it's always a balancing act and we never get it right. But what kids will tell you, my, my daughters will tell you today that they were loved, not because we did it right, not because we had a perfect balance, but because we struggled with it every day. Should I support them right now or do I push them right now? And usually where one, one parent is better at these than the other. But if you sh- are struggling with it, just know that you're invested in it. The easy way to do it is just to give them support and let them do what they want. I remember very specifically when my daughter was a teenager and she wanted to change her curfew. And, uh, and, and Val and I struggled with that for days. And I said, you know, she gave us about a week's notice. And I said, I don't know. Whether we can do that. <laughs> And, and I said, prove it to us. That, and so she did her research and she presented it and Val and I wrestled with it. And I don't know if we made the right decision, but I'll tell you, and my daughter will look back and say, well, you cared enough to invest in the journey. Mm-hmm. Now, she may not have articulated that, but I know that our kids feel loved. But it's not because we get it perfect. Right. What we're trying to do so much is to get it perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's just breeds anxiety. And uh, we're, we've got enough of that in our world today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't we ever. Yeah. Particularly at this time when we have kids, um, you know, and you're in the homeschooling business. And I know enough about homeschooling that homeschooling really only works. I'm a naive outsider here, but homeschooling really only works if you make the decision to be a homeschooler and you've got the right temperament for it. But when it's foisted on you, I don't know that I would call that homeschooling. I would just say that we're imperfectly learning together and let's be easy on ourselves. And this is not a time for high productivity when we've been foisted into these roles of of, uh, teaching our kids. Let's be human with each other. I hope that's aligned with your uh, approach. Yeah, it absolutely is. I think that's what a lot of the homeschooling community has been saying right now is 
this is not actually homeschooling. This is school being brought to the home, which is a very different thing. It's suddenly schooling at home. But yeah, the home environment is not school, number one. The parent is not the teacher at the school. And yeah, a very different relationship is formed for sure. I think there's a lot of, in homeschooling, you get to the point where I I think there's worry about, maybe in the beginning, there might be the academic worry. But what happens to the majority of homeschoolers is you start to get into you realize it's, it's about the relationship. It's not about the academics. It's, a build, it's about building that connected relationship with your child. And that foundation will then help in their learning and their lifelong learning journey that you can be a support to, essentially. So yeah, it's very different from all of a sudden school coming into your home than, than homeschooling and learning from home, for sure. So this is a time, can you find a way right now to enjoy the process? Because if you're enjoying it, they will enjoy it. And I'll tell you, you don't learn. Yes, you got to be challenged. But if you're not essentially, for the most part, enjoying the challenge, uh, see if you can change that process as a parent and find a way to relax more with it. And uh, we'll get we'll get back on track here. Yeah, I think so. I agree, too. We have to give ourselves grace, for sure. We have to give ourselves some, some leeway and, <laughs> and to, you know, we work with what we have, and that's good enough. Tomorrow's a new day, and we start tomorrow when tomorrow comes, essentially. <laughs> there's exactly. a lot of it. So so what happens then when, you know, I, th- I've been hearing from a lot of parents who, you know, that is the concern. They're at home now. They're either not working or they're still working almost full-time from the home. They've got their kids at home. They have – their kids have work and assignments to do. They're trying to connect with technology. They need the support from the school, but the school is also still scrambling and trying to get their things together and deal with so many other things that are coming into play right now. And then they think, okay, when school comes back, are my, is my child going to be behind? What should I do right now? You know, what can I have them? How do I keep them busy? But while I'm working, you know, it, it's a little bit of a chaos being thrown into the balance of things. What would you recommend to parents? This is a time to get connected with your kids. Hmm. This is a time to build community. I say this in the workplace right now. This is not a high productivity time. It's a high creative time and it's a time for community. It's a time for building relationships. This is an opportunity to get close to your kids. Let go of this crazy, insane fear. It's the same fear that parents have that says, you have to, my kid has to be reading by the time they get to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And the same pressure. And kids don't need that pressure. Uh, they pressure themselves enough. Challenge them, yes. But you know what? Let's be creative. What can we do to learn together? And how can I use this time, precious, precious time, that maybe there's an opportunity to get close to my kids? And I'm not going to be, if I'm working at home and being close with my kids and I have to have that boundary and it feels crazy and nutty, um, that's, that's understandable. Um, so let's take some pressure off of all of us and say, I'm not going to be productive at work as productive as I want to be. And I'm not going to be productive in the classroom. And you know what? So kids lose three months of productivity in their classroom. What they will gain may be in a new joy for learning. They will make up next year. 
if you can make this uh, pleasurable and enjoyable and creative, maybe they will get newly inspired with their topics when they get back to school next year. Um, let's take this horrible pressure off that we're going to, it's the same pressure that says we got to have kids playing hockey all summer or they're not going to make the professionals. And it's crazy, anxious thinking that just permeates our world today. We got to be the best at everything. And maybe we just have to be really good at being average and, <laughs> and find what our gifts are right now and let those excel naturally. So, that I feel pretty strong about this. I might I might stand to be wrong, but let's take that pressure off of ourselves because that will permeate into our kids, and then we get into a whole anxiety thing. And and at the same time, we don't want our kids watching Netflix for forty hours a week either. So we've got to have some limits. Um, um, but let's let's make it some. Let's bring some joy into it. Yeah. Do you think that this is also a time because it's such, I mean, it's so different from what most have experienced, what many have experienced, that it's also bringing up fears that have already been there, but now just the situation has exasperated it or it's finally made them come to the surface and we've had to really be present or face them when maybe we, through our busyness and activities and extracurricular activities and work and all of those other things have just been a way to kind of tamp them down? 100%. You know, there's an old saying that circumstances don't determine a person. Circumstances reveal a person. And it's the same in relationships. When you get a crisis, when you get disruption, it will reveal magnified what the relationship was like when before it happened. It, I, I use the metaphor here of having a child. So having a child, your first child is chaotic. It, you know, it, however you define chaos, it is disruptive. Your sleep is disruptive. Your routines are disruptive. Anything is disruptive. Now, will that disruption build a better marriage or make your marriage worse? The answer is <clears throat> it depends on the relationship before you had the child. If you have a bad marriage and you think, I'm going to have a child to improve the marriage, this is not a good formula because it will magnify the bad marriage. Your relationship will be revealed right now. A, a good marriage with the birth of a child will make that marriage better because it will magnify the goodness in that marriage. And so if you're having trouble, you can't unfortunately blame the environment right now, the circumstances. You've got to really look inside and say, hmm, where have I needed, where is this a wake-up call for me? Maybe I've been di too disconnected and too distracted with my, from my kids. You know, when I, I go back to my family therapy days, and when kids came in with when parents brought their troubled kids in and they would often have a list of things that they wanted me to do to fix their kids. And, you know, would you get my child to do this and this and this and get motivated to school, clean up his room, et cetera, or get off drugs, whatever. And, and my first question in troubled families is I would always say, how much time in the last week did you spend with your child when you weren't trying to get them to do something? Or when you had no expect, where you were just hanging out with your kids and enjoying the experience of being bonded with your kids. 
And I can tell you really troubled families inevitably would say, we never do that. Right. And so my first job was to help them learn how to connect and just be present. Now, that's tough when you start as a teenager. But I'm telling you, this is an opportunity that we can find common ground to say, listen, I have no idea what you're learning in school. Teach me. Let's be creative. This is your chance to teach me about your school and to teach me about education and learn from your kids and use this time as a way of nurturing. Mm-hmm. Our, our, whatever, let me say it this way. Use this time as a way of closing some gaps that we're seeing in the relationships in our lives. Right, yeah. And and it's true, as nurturing as well, because that is... Nurturing as well as also the spending of time, the connection, building building those threads back that may have been cut or may have been dangling for a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, I know that many times I think of, you know, that what is when uh, we, we get questions of, you know, what should we do with our kids? How do we keep them busy? You know, there's so many, I, you know, here's my schedule and it's packed for, you know, eight until six or whatever, you know, what, whatever it's color coded and everything like that. And the suggestion is usually, you know, do dishes with them, bake with them, you know, make a shopping list. If you really want, you know, practice their writing or their, their just dexterity, their fine motor skills, have them write the shopping list or draw a picture of it or, you know, plan a meal together, play some games, you know, build, build Lego together, clean up the yard together, all those things that with, without the expectations and pressure of meeting a deadline in that way, like just other ways of doing that also can even just quietly build a connection together. Absolutely. You know, we had a volleyball coach coach back in uh, college. I didn't play volleyball. I was in track team, but our, our, I got to know the volleyball coach and I would watch him in practice. And he had a mantra that whenever the ball came over to their side of the net, he would say, use it. And he said, don't just get rid of it. You got three touches where you can develop your capacity of using that ball before you send it back. And don't waste an opportunity to learn how to play volleyball while the ball's on your side of the net. And to me, it's a metaphor for what the opportunity is right now. We got, we got some opportunity to develop our capa- new capacity right now. If we'll just stop and be still and learn, what do I need to learn right now? What do I need to, to do in terms of building a relationship with one of my kids or two, you know, more you know, with my children? Or it might be, I'll tell you right now, I'm having a relationship, have a better relationship with my wife because this is an opportunity right now for me to say I'm redefining my work. And so I'm stepping back and redefining. I've had far too much of my identity tied up in my work and I haven't felt comfortable just being. So this is an opportunity that I'm actually personally learning through this to create some space to spend time with my in my marriage and to nurture that relationship that has been a little bit neglected with my work. Mm. Just like I'm I talking will. about over identifying with kids, I, I think we can get <laughs> over identified in our work, right? We we all have work to do on this. Yeah, absolutely. We all do. I, I actually I, I agree 100. percent I do hope that coming through this too, that we, 
you know, it, it also stays that we remember, we remember all of this, our experience and what we've been learning about ourselves and not too quickly trying to rush when it's over, trying to run out, run out of the house and rush back into things as quickly as we can. Don't be in a hurry to push that ball back. Uh, yeah. Let's not, let's make sure we look back at this time. We will look back at this time. Let's make sure we have no regrets. You know, it's interesting in Italy, the, uh, what we're finding is the through Venice, uh, well, there's several examples of this. India, and now we can see the Himalayas for the first time. Um, yes, in Venice, the, the water is clear because there's not tourists on the water, and it's clarifying it. So the question becomes, what needs clarity? What needs clearing in our own life? Hmm. What needs, uh, you know, what, what pollution has been in our own life? That Maybe that's a bad word, but maybe what... what uh, what needs clear? No, I, I think pollution is a good word, <laughs> actually. It can be messy. It can be mucky. It can be smoky. It can be a little bit dirty. And if we take the time to, to clean it, yeah, I think pollution works. <laughs> yes. So I know one of those, I mean, what you're talking about as well, I keep coming back to thinking, even you know, the connection of our relationships with our kids and with our spouses or our partners and you know, so much of it again comes back to ourselves, the relationship with ourselves, or you know, any of those fears that we were trying to avoid or you know compensate for with busyness or what, what other pressure or what 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 not for that. But you know, I know you talked about being still, but also part of being still is slowing down taking the moment to be present, but you had also mentioned, I know this is on one of the videos that you had, is um, putting your oxygen on mask on first. And that's still an important part of that too. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, the best gift we can give the people in our lives, our spouses, our kids, our friendships, the best gift we can give anybody is the gift of our own development for us to be stronger. One of my mentors, Jim Rohn, used to say, don't pray that the world will be easier. Pray that you will be stronger. And the best gift you can give the people in your life is to take care of yourself so that then you can care for them from, with overflow, not emptiness. And you know, it's an old, Robin, it's an old and ironic habit of human beings to run faster when we've lost our way. I know the phenomenon of being lost in the wilderness and the natural tendency is to speed up and get busier and get panicking and, and we all have fears that come up, you know, our very survival has been threatened right now. And what's important is to stop and get our bearings and to stop and look inside and say, what do we really value? What really matters to us? How are my, how's my inner state? Uh, what, what do I need right now? And what's really important in my life? And to start to take an inventory, I actually have some resources on my website to help people through that contemplative process right now, if they've got a little bit of space, to just really stop and resist that human tendency to speed up and go buy toilet paper and go panic shopping is what I call, you know, we purchase panic and it's legitimate to be afraid, but if we just stop and are present to it, we actually are okay. There will be losses, there will be suffering, yes, but let's stay present to it and we'll get through this. 
and let's stay present with our children um, as they get through it imperfectly. But we have to stop and get our bearings. We can't just get on this panic bandwagon. We have to be just be careful of that. What well, that's what leadership is. And being present. I know you, what happens when what happens when we don't know what to do with our fear. Yes, there's an old saying that violence is what happens when we don't know what to do with our suffering. And it's the same thing. If we don't know what to do with our fears, if we don't have a way to name them, if we don't have a way of sharing them, if we don't have a way of letting them go, they'll build up and become anxiety. And that anxiety be can become pressure and that pressure can become impatience and that, pre and that impatience can become control. And it can actually lead to abuse. Um, if we're not careful, it can be, dis it, we can, it can, at, at minimum, it can lead to disrespectful ways that we treat our children. I notice this in myself when I'm more impatient, um, than I usually am. And then I stop and realize, you know what, I'm just in fear right now. And I need to stop and talk about my fears and that's okay to name my fears rather than, uh, pushing them down, and then they come up in an indirect, destructive way. And if we don't, if, if we don't get angry at somebody else and we don't get impatient with somebody else, we'll probably, if we're not letting go of our fears, find that we take it out on ourselves and mm. we take it out on our body. And it, it leads to internal stress, which leads to disease, which leads to, inter, you know, uh, uh, abuse against our own body. So it's, I just find it's really important right now to use this time to talk about our fears, to acknowledge our fears, pick up the phone. If, if we haven't got people in our lives that we can share it with, use technology um, to share what's going on in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis so that we don't take it out on the people that we care about. Mm, absolutely. So is that, you know, I, I, there's one uh, acronym that I, I know of that I, uh, that's in my, my toolbox, <laughs> RAIN, recognize, acknowledge, investigate, and nurture. You know, in a time when we are confined in a space altogether for a very long time, and maybe we can't, um, you know, when we're trying to be with our fears, when we're trying to recognize our fears, and we can't really get away from the others in our family, maybe we're in an apartment or we're in a space where we can't really go elsewhere, is what can we do? How can we practice that uh, when our space and time seem, our space seems limited? Our time is not limited. I guess that's the difference. Our time right now is limited, but maybe our space and environment seems limited. Oh, I, I love that acronym, by the way. I've never heard that. Would you give me that again? That's That just speaks very clearly to what I was saying. R-A-I-N. <laughs> yeah, RAIN. R-A-I-N. Recognize. Recognize. Acknowledge. Investigate and nurture. Yes. And the way we nurture it is to share it. And, you know, I love the rain analogy because I always believe in a good cry every once in a while. It kind of is like mm. a, it's like a rain in a dry desert and it nourishes us to get that out. And let's not be afraid to be human right now. And again, maybe this will reveal to you, I don't have a support system right now. I'm alone. And I don't have a support system except being with my kids. Well, this is an opportunity now to say, reach out to one other person. 
and to say, you know what, um, I need to have some daily connection, or I need to, um, I need to talk about this. I need to have. I don't want to go through this alone, because this is what will create violence toward ourselves or other people when we don't acknowledge and let go of this. So I love that acronym, and I'm, I, I learned that today. That's it's a good analogy. <laughs> it, it, and actually, I have never thought about it in that way of tears, of crying. That part of that is it's the 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 process of release and nurturing is also shedding those tears and clearing that away. You know, I think of the rain, the desert, the you know, bringing new and refreshing. But uh, you know, the the cry, the tears, absolutely, I get that for sure. Yeah. I know I told you I cried through your entire book when I read it. So, <laughs> well, it's very kind. It resonates with me for sure. <laughs> yeah, and this is what we build. This is how we build communities by through shared experiences like this. And that mm. what we need to realize is that we're not alone right now. Even though we may be in a very small space, um, we are never alone. And uh, this is a time. You talk about um, who are the helpers. You look around, there will, uh, what you focus on, this is what I learned from my parents, what you focus on is what grows. And you focus on beauty in the world and you will find it. And you focus on the beauty of people who are reaching out and you will find it's all around us. And let's not go through this alone. That would be a very, very fundamental message I would want your listeners to leave with that there's, you know, I've struggled. I've been through the dark, the dark journey of depression in my life. And I, I, you know, I read, I wrote about it, as you know, in my book. And one of the things that I've learned is the only way to get through this depression is so different. I don't want to be prescriptive, but the one thing I have learned from my own depression is that you only can get through it compassionately, that you, you know, you don't heal anybody through judgment and through pressure. And we can't heal ourselves through, through any kind of dark period in our, our lives without some compassion. You know, it's one thing to be depressed and anxious, but then the, the it's it's worse when we bring another layer onto it that says we shouldn't be anxious or depressed. And then we get anxious about being anxious and depressed about being depressed, and we really get depressed. As opposed to just, as you say in your acronym there, recognizing it, acknowledging it, sharing it, and knowing that that this is part of being human. Is to is that we go through this. We don't have to be anxious about our kids' anxiety. Anxiety is not your enemy. It means, in fact, I've got a relative who has zero anxiety, and you can't count on that How? guy. <laughs> like he is just dead beat. He's dead. Okay. He can't get inspired to do anything. Anybody that I know that is conscious and is trying to do something in the world and wants to make the world a better place, guess what? They feel some anxiety. And it comes with the territory. Let's not be afraid of anxiety. Let's accept it. It's not your enemy. Let's use it. Let's use dark periods in our life to deepen who we are. This is what authentic leadership, this is my whole focus of my work, is to use this experience to deepen. Don't, yes, we all got to distract ourselves and creative, you know, find creative ways to get through it and laugh. And this is all very important. And it's important to take this deeper journey to say, how can I get to know myself deeper here through this experience? So what are some ways that, you know, again, if we're at home right now, what are some other ways that we can, or tools that we can use to go back, to go into that deeper journey? 
Well, take an inventory, first of all, on the people in your life that you can lean on, that you can be who you are with. And my hope would be that over the next three months, that we could have five people in our life that we could turn to and share ourselves with. And if we could set a goal to build that up to five, maybe it's zero right now and start with one. Who's one person that I can share with? Um, Another tool is the tool of quietness. Um, Wake up five minutes early, if you can, before your kids are up or after they're in bed and have five or 10 minutes with yourself to listen to your inner voice, to do a check-in, just like you do with your kids. How are you doing today? How are, to do a check-in with ourselves. How is my life today? And I really do recommend either a prayer practice or a meditation practice or something that brings, that stills us into a deeper relationship with ourselves. And it's very uncomfortable to be still today. I've been sending on my signature line, a line by Pascal that says that essentially that the world's problems all stem from the fact that we don't know how to sit still in a room and uh, be with ourselves. And it's a, it's a philosopher who said that a number of years ago. And so um, how can we just be still and listen to our inner voice, listen to our emo- own emotions, and then do something that nourishes ourselves every day? Maybe it's just getting out and going for a walk. And maybe we can have our kids join us in what's nourishing for us. Maybe it's to have an exercise tape on that we just get up and we feel good about ourselves because we did something that was a little difficult. Um, Maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, to call a friend. uh, But do something that's difficult each day that responds. And take a little inventory of what exactly do you need right now to nurture, to nurture yourself. Not necessarily things that are easy, but things that at the end of the day will give you self-respect. Do you need exercise during the day or early in the morning? Do you need a meditation practice? Do you need to do yoga? Um, do, you, do you need a good friend? What exactly do you need? And take an inventory. You might not be able to get all your needs met right now, but it's a matter of stopping and acknowledging what are those needs that you have. And uh, maybe just getting out now that it's spring, thank goodness, here. uh, Maybe it's just a matter of just getting outside every day, getting some sunlight. What is it that you need? So stop and take a careful inventory of that. Hmm. And then honor that. Schedule those in on a weekly basis to say, I am going to Uh, Make sure that I attend to some of those needs so that I can be then coming from overflow in my caring with my kids, not emptiness. The best gift you can do is to strengthen yourself so that then you can be there for your kids and the people in your life. Maybe your need is for uh, some self-study where you you take some time and read for yourself and uh, step aside and develop some development for yourself. Again, it, I don't know that we can always meet those needs right now if we're in the midst of a lot of demands, but what's wrong with at least acknowledging them and then making a choice? Well, you know what? Right now I can't meet all those needs, but I'm not going to bury them. I'm going to keep them first and foremost that when the time comes, I will see what I can do to meet those needs. Right. When yeah. we don't honor those needs and the, the need, these are not just wants. This is, and this is the thing that we, 
can all learn right now is the difference between wants and needs. And it's really what we need to sustain our spirits, our minds, our bodies right now so that we can really be there for other people. And uh, this is a tremendous opportunity to just take a careful evaluation of what that is. I like the, yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And those steps that I understand maybe we can't do them daily, but even once a week, would that be enough to try and gradually work towards them if, if they're not you know, immediately available to us on a daily basis? 100%. If, if you... Uh, yeah, if you if yes, if you take a look at what your needs are and say how can I meet those needs at least once a week, that would be a huge start for most of us who are who have a tendency and an orientation toward helping everybody else uh, more than we help ourselves. Right, right, yeah, and I guess the biggest thing in that is if you're a parent, then what the biggest thing is that those actions are teaching our kids. They see us making the priority and doing those things and then therefore getting better. So it's so much easier for them to learn from that and maybe even replicate that as well. 100%. We're modeling for our kids how you need to take care of yourself. And just doing what you want to do isn't necessarily taking care of yourself. Sitting in front of a television for three hours. Yes, it's good to relax. And maybe we have a need for some of that. But when it becomes an escape, that's what we want to do. But that doesn't necessarily nourish us. And the way you know whether something is nourishing is do you feel fulfilled afterwards? Do you feel satisfied? Do you feel better about yourself? And I know if we, you know, uh, when you're when you're involved in, in stuff, you know, self-care isn't necessarily comfortable. But it, it will leave you a sense of, of uh, it'll fill you up with self-respect if you're doing what your needs are as opposed to just what's easy and what your impulse is. Right, right. And I guess it's another, I mean, you taught, you brought this up earlier as well and the importance for all of us is that it's good to challenge ourselves, that we shouldn't just always take the easy right way out. And again, even for our kids too, having some challenge is still can still be nourishing. Well, you just described the need that I need to be challenged right now. And there's a need. So what do you do to challenge yourself every every week? What are you doing to push yourself a little bit? And you can talk this over with your kids to say, listen, I'm evaluating what my needs are. And you know what I'm going to start to do in this family? I'm going to start to look after my needs so I can take better care of you. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that I'm not in such a bad mood anymore because right. I'm going to respect myself. And when I respect myself, I'll respect you a lot more and I'll treat you a lot better. How would you like that? Mm -hmm. So I need your help. I need your help. To, you know, when I'm exercising in the morning, um, that's what I'm doing. I'm building self-respect so that I'll take care of better you. I'll take better care of you today. Now, I know when you've got preschoolers, you're not going to understand that. But you'd be surprised that how much we can do. We can bring our young kids into this. Um, and it's, again, it's really being creative. Right, right. Well, that, well, that's even like what you had said. If you need some time outside, we need some vitamin D, we need some fresh air, a little bit of time in nature, instead of we can bring, even if when they're young, bring them along with us. You know, maybe stop and right now it's, you know, let them play in the mud or, you know, just take the moment to walk slowly with them or have them along with us during that activity. Looking for beauty in the world. 
Um, yes, bring them along. And I know this is age specific, but you know f- we we do have to find common ground. The the really the best way to nourish our families, where you bring this from self into your family, is to find a common ground that meets everybody's needs, so that we you know we or so we build a need for connection, which is an important need that we all have. Well, let's do that together. Share experiences together. And we just got to be really creative how we do that separately in our world where we're, we're our friends. But, I, you know, for example, my wife, she's got a sister and two very good friends that get together every year. And they always get together in the spring. And, uh, well, they couldn't do that. So they are having Zoom, regular Zoom calls where mm-hmm. they have a chance to really just connect because I know how important that is to Val to have her female friends. Well, you know what? Technology is not a great tool to get connected, but it's a great tool to stay connected. So, you know, we can use technology to meet some of those needs too when we stop long enough and just at least take an inventory exactly what they are. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it is absolutely important. And I guess that's also one of the ways that, you know, we can be our helper to ourselves by taking, by by choosing our needs versus our wants, but by taking care of ourselves and we're also being a helper to others. Well, that's really well put. Be a helper to yourself. Wow. Hadn't thought of that one. That's a great <laughs> idea. A great image to have. And how can you go yeah. along with Mr. Rogers? My goodness. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm saying he would be a great person to have in the world right now, but um, we've got his legacy that we can look back on, which is, you know, I'm just as thankful for. You know, one of the things that I teach in my, I take leaders away for uh, three and a half days and we go up to Banff, although I'm going to be planning on doing it virtually now, of course, but um, we're going to put an online, I'm going to put an online program together where people can have that opportunity, but uh, until we can get back to doing this live. But one of the tools that I use there is when we talk about community, you can have an internal community as well. And where you can sit quietly in meditation each morning and find the wise teachers that have lived in you that can still give you inspiration. You can sit with your grandmother who may have passed away several years ago or a mother or a father, or for that matter, you can bring Mr. Rogers into your meditation and quietly imagine him sitting with you. And what guidance would you take from Mr. Rogers today about how to be a better parent? Hmm. And we can learn from those who live within us, um, whose spirit lasts longer than their life. We can be a part of something bigger. And if we can connect with that, maybe we can help contribute to making this world a little better. Wow. Thank you. I have goosebumps all over my body right now thinking about that. Yeah, absolutely. The internal community and and having those who were guides, role models, mentors with us, whether it's our meditation or when we're sitting in our quiet place. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really powerful. Thank you very much. Well, I, I think actually that's a perfect note to end it on. <laughs> I don't know if we could really say any more. I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, is there a place that we can also go to to find out more, contact you? Or I know you said you also have some of the tools available on your website as well. Yes, I do. And you know what, before I just before I mention my website, I've been on a project and I just feel inclined to share this. I've been yes, on a project uh, since my brother's death uh, three years ago. 
and it's my wall of influence. And it's, it's, uh, it's one of the exercises that I take people through in my leadership program. And, um, it's, it's the 20, it's, it's on my wall here in my, in my home office of the 25 most influential people who have helped shape me and make me who I am today. And I've written most of them a thank you letter, um, or I've visited them. If they've, if they've passed, I've sat on their gravesite. And my two questions that I would leave for your listeners would be, if you were to do this exercise, who would be on your wall? Hmm. And even the second, the second question is even more important than the first. And that is whose wall will you one day earn the right to be on? And maybe we could use this time as a way of saying, what if I could earn the right to have, to have me be on somebody's wall? One of my kids would, one of my kids put me on their wall one day, whose wall will I earn the right to be on? And I think this is a terrifically important time, a great opportunity for us to reflect on these deeper questions if we'll allow the busyness to settle and so that we can see a little more clearly into our own lives. Now, having said all that, um, I'll give you my website. <laughs> I just wanted to leave it for a moment there and let that all sink yeah. in, though. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks. You know the power of the pause, so I sometimes can, can interrupt my own pause. The Quakers have a great line for this. They, uh, they say, don't uh, talk unless it uh, improves the quality of the silence. So I, I have to keep mm. that myself. That's a good and my website for resources is uh, very simple at David irvin.com and irvin is spelled just like irvine california so david at, at david irvine.com okay i-r-v-i-n-e yes you got it okay and ironically there's a dr irvine spelled exactly the same way in my town here <laughs> oh so that's an easy way to remember it for sure oh yes I, I, you know, for the listeners that are listening, I had, had told David earlier that my connection, my introduction to him was I had the chance to see him speak two years ago, and uh, it was wonderful and very touching, but really the greatest impact was when I was able to connect with his book, Caring is Everything. And I think I've sh I have shared it on social media before, too, while I was reading it, because I found so much value from it. Um it's a memoir. Really, it's a book about leadership and development, but it's told through David's personal eyes of being with his brother while he was dying. And it was one of the most impactful books I've read in a very long time. And it touched my heart. And it was so personal. And um, that's why I wanted to, him to be one of the helpers on the series. So thank you so much. And I just want to say thank you. And I encourage anyone that you get a chance to go to David's website, read the book if you can. I would love to talk about it with anyone as well, if anyone has read it and explore it more as well. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Well, it's an honor and a privilege. And uh, I just want to say, Robin, keep bringing beauty to the world. You're doing good work. And I'm just privileged to be able to do my part to support the work you're doing. So all the best to you and your listeners. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. Mm -hmm.